Well, greetings, everyone. John Dupuy here, and I invite you to spend time with myself, Colette Baron-Reed, and Dr. Bob Weathers, experts in the treatment and the understanding of the disease of addiction, which is enslaving 46 million Americans, according to John Hopkins University. Stay tuned. This is not only painful, but it's highly inspiring. You won't want to miss it. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. I'm John Dupuy, co-host with Dr. Roger Walsh. And today we have uh, a dear friend, well, two dear friends and colleagues, actually, Dr. Bob Weathers. If this is on uh, YouTube, you can see that beautiful, handsome man. And Colette Baron-Reed. And Colette is a really interesting person, and she has a very long bio, but I just want to read the first paragraph because I like it. Colette Baron-Reed, best-selling author, internationally acclaimed oracle expert, spiritual intuitive, personal transformation thought leader, business strategist, artist, educator. In other words, she's unemployed. <laughs> Just kidding. Done various projects over the years. And thanks, Colette. And it's always a, a great grace and a blessing to see you. And she's also the head honcha, the head honcho for the, the Wooniverse podcast which is an amazing and a very successful, you know, just as you'll soon see as why it's so popular and why she's doing so well in that. And with Bob, well, his, his professional work now is working with addicts and alcoholics. And I wrote a book about it some time ago and it was influential in some, with some people. And it was, it's a really good book. It was mainly channeled, I'm sure. We became connected that way. And I was doing counseling, online counseling with addicts and alcoholics for a number of years until my wife said, okay, John, that's enough. And we had our, our house full of addicts for eight years. This became a treatment center, you know, 24-7. So I did get some on-the-ground experience. And I was also addicted to cigarettes for many years. So I do have some addiction. But I've been in the trenches. And Bob is one of the first people I call when I, people call me up. And they need somebody to to counsel with, to talk to, to work with. He's the top of my list. Anyway, I just feel such so happy that we're all here. And today we're going to try to dig in. And as you know, we're not really guided much but by the flow of the Spirit in these conversations. But I was talking with Roger last night. He mentioned something said, the new face of addiction which I thought might be a really good title for this. So I'd like to, to to go in, you know, the big picture. What do we see going on in our civilization and culture and our countries with addiction? And we've gone through, you know, we've gone through the pandemic, et cetera, and how you see things going right now in the field and how it is with your own personal journey, you know, because both of you are in recovery for a long time and have come back and, you know, through the fires, uh, purified and full of love, compassion, and wisdom, which is what recovery tends to do if you do the work. So anyway, thank you. Welcome. And God bless you guys. Yeah. Who wants to start this thing rolling besides me? 
It's great to be here. Thank you for that introduction, John. And Colette, I'm really happy to hear that you're in recovery as well. I, I, I look forward to wherever our conversation might take us. That's really a joy to know. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'll start then. If that's the, okay, so 37 and a half years clean and sober, a day at a time, actually more than that now, but you know, I, you asked about it, the bigger picture. So I know for me, it's been interesting to see the types, the way addiction has morphed in our society. For me, you know, I grew up, there was no internet. There was no, I mean, you know, I'm 65. So we're going to go way back to when I started in the seventies and got clean and sober in 1986, January 2nd, actually. So a day at a time, but then it was cocaine. It was, you know, it was all kinds of different drugs for me and sex addiction, things that were not, they, they weren't cult, like cultural so much, although we had a subculture with drug, you know, with cocaine and the nightclubs, et cetera. But now, you know, when I look at and I see us with our gadgets and I see the kind of addictions that have taken place now, you know, the the addiction to disconnection and dissociation and even now with everybody tooting all the, the, I mean, and I understand that the conversation around trauma is important, et cetera, but I'm finding even the addiction to identify yourself as traumatized or somehow like I, without being in any way disrespectful because I, I come from trauma. I mean, I was, you know, I had a lot of violence that happened to me in my early twenties. I mean, I have a whole list of reasons why I should be a victim, but I think that you know that there's something going on that's that's really dissolving it's fragmentation there's there's it's just really scary i think the way this has gone you know anyway but for me my entire entire reason for being clean and sober is not just service but it's a it's a conscious contact to a higher power that is the one thing that has created my entire life is knowing that my my relationship to a higher power is my number one priority and everything else is secondary. Ego sublimation, you know, that's... Uh, anyway, somebody else take the ball now because I I, could, I literally could talk solid for an hour and a half, <laughs> just like John. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to yell hallelujah, amen, with the last thing you said. But you also said something about the fragmentation. And before mm -hmm. you give up the give up the, uh, speaking... The yeah, what, what do you mean by that? So... I, I don't know. Addiction was more social <laughs> when I was an addict. <laughs> you know, now it's just this is the addiction is disconnection, right? So we become more fragmented as we become more and more disconnected. Like even the fact you go to the grocery store, there's, you can't even talk. You have to self check out like the, the, the loneliness and the, you know, not being able to communicate and false sense of communication. You know, you have counterfeit relationships because people band together about what they hate or they, you know, they come together for the very different reasons now. So, so that, so the fragmentation part is that there's, there's, there's a real lack of cohesion and so much, not even what I want to say separation. I don't know why I'm not that articulate today. I'm usually pretty more, a lot better with my words, but you know, the idea that we are so polarized, you know, that's, that's also what I mean. It's just scary. Yeah. it's scary you know because i'm a middle of the road girl very un not the most flat like you know it's not the popular position because i believe that everything keeps comes back to center and coherence is where we need to be in harmony peace nick here but 
it's not happening. Now I'll give up the ball. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to just draw out one of the implications of what you're saying, Colette, because I think it's really important. And that was there was an implication in what you said first off that the that that the objects of addiction have changed, and in very dramatic ways, and that you talked about some people even talk about victimology or the addiction to being the attraction and even addiction to that role so we can come we can become attached addicted to substances to gadgets to stimulation of any kind including and of course different roles and different identities mm-hmm. i think the implication you're pointing to is that basically a universal addiction that by nature well, there is a tendency to addiction, and no, no, never more succinctly stated than why the Buddha in his second noble truth: the cause of suffering is addiction, mm-hmm. and full stop. And you know, we want to end suffering. Third noble truth: really reduce addiction. So I think it helps to to put it in the the universal context that this mm-hmm. is something all of us are wired for in a way and have to work with at various levels, some more dramatically, such as yourself, others more like myself, fortunately, more around more subtle things. But, of course, that could change. It's ironic. Johns Hopkins University, their School of Public Health a few years ago did a study, and they were looking at all the various mental health diagnoses that one might receive, every, all the depressions, anxieties, personality disorders, and so on. And they were looking at which one has the most negative social loading, the most uh, negative stigma. No big surprise here, but substance use disorders, which is the term now used for addiction, so at the very bottom of the barrel. And so so you've got that kind of judgment that is going on, at least in in the U.S. society, coupled with with what just came out this year from Washington, which is that 46.3 million Americans over the age of 12, they use 12 as the cutoff, over the age of 12 are currently addicted to substances, 46.3 million Americans, which means that subject to either receiving stigma and or being those that stigmatize. But let me add another statistic just to throw this in there. 90% of Americans endorse that they have at least one behavioral addiction right now, which would be all of the non-substance addictions. In fact, I've heard some people say about the 10% that didn't say they had it is that they either were lying or maybe just didn't understand the question. (laughs) (laughs) Just to say that it's universal. And this is is why I'm so enthused to meet you is that it it helps to provide image values. We're all in the soup together with this. As you said, Roger, the heart of any religious or wisdom tradition, including Buddhism, is that to be human is to be subject to being enslaved, which is just the root understanding of, of addiction. Addictus in Latin means to be enslaved or to be a bondservant. Well, that's that's what we're all up against. So the first step would be to humanize our conversation like we are right now. And this is why I'm so delighted, Colette, for you to be out. I'm I'm a third of the way. I'm in my 11th year of sobriety. So congratulations. Hey. You got sober the year my daughter was born, so that'll be an easy mnemonic for me. But whether it's 37 years or 11 years or 37 minutes, it doesn't really matter. We're all in this together. And so at least at the very least, can we can we connect on that? You know, Colette, you said we're disconnected. Can we at least connect on the fact that we're human beings, that they're all subject to whether it's substance addictions 
or behavioral addictions. I even think of attitudinal addictions, like you said, Colette. Yeah. An attitude such as my identity, I, I am a victim, therefore I am. That would be an attitude that doesn't serve and is quite possible to get quite attached to that. And that that attachment itself could become the source of my suffering. So let's all just let down the walls that separate us from addicts, from what, what they call that. I hear this term sometimes in treatment centers, so-called normies. I'd like mm-hmm. to know what a normie is. I don't know any. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you find one, let us know, Bob. <laughs> but there's a there's an important point here under this, Bob. I mean, I'm we're all laughing about this, but the implication is really important that our normal human condition is one of psychological disease of various kinds, both craving and aversion, and significantly major degrees of psychological immaturity that the research now is crystal clear that the human potential contains the possibility of maturing way beyond what we think of the ceiling of possibilities and so what we take to be normality is looking more and more like a, a collective form of unrecognized developmental arrest in which we are all addicted to varying degrees and subtleties. We're all fearful of various things. We are so much less than we can be, but it takes an awful lot of work to get beyond that. And you two have done that kind of work and I think have some very important pointers for us all. Thank you. Beautifully said, Roger. I mean, I do think that we are we are 100% all. We can include everybody. But I really do think that the result of active addiction is disconnection. When we need each other, we then can, it's a lot easier for us to other people when our, whatever the source of our addiction creates this closed door, you know, your life is suction cupped onto the end of your nose. You don't have space for anyone else. So there really is a purpose to us to discuss recovery, you know, like, I I don't like to just throw it away to say, oh, everybody's addicted, you know, but what about recovery? What does that look like? You know, what does, I know not everybody seeks a higher power. For example, if you're a Buddhist, you have a different view of spirituality or life. You have your, your, it's, it's that there is something greater than myself and my pain and my story and my, and my limitations, that there's something greater for me, but for humanity. So for those people whose addictions create that much dissonance and disconnection, how do we offer them outside of an intellectual discourse on addiction and how we're all in this together? Like how, what, what is it we could offer them as some type of solace? Cause I know when I was in active addiction, I didn't think anybody would ever understand me or know my pain or, or care. I had such low self-worth. I couldn't connect because I was too afraid to. There are so many things around this that now, because you asked again, we set this in the very beginning of this conversation about when we look at things universally, our civilization at this moment, how does it recover from itself? (laughs) You know, and what, what do we offer? 
I sometimes ask groups that I lead, what is, what is it that we're recovering? And it's not meant to be a trick question. I don't really ask trick questions. It's like, and it really opens up into some thoughtful responses at every possible level. One of the shorthands that I've used that cuts across all traditions is I say, we're here to recover our original face before we were born. Just to start with that as metal, you know, and Love then that. what might that look like for each individual? I fully agree with you, Colette, is that I think it's important to have a clear understanding of addiction, body, mind, and spirit, for sure. I think that that's a start, but I I, I don't believe that top-down information is nearly adequate for the transformation that's required. You know that from, you wouldn't have made it for 37 years, or I for 11 years, were it just for intellectual information. In fact, if it was for just intellectual information, I wouldn't have gotten addicted. I would have just read all the books. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, exactly obviously need something else. John, you've been a huge inspiration for this. And you too, Roger. Roger, I told Roger that last night I had a dream of him. And in the dream, Roger, you were telling me about therapeutic life changes. Is that right, Roger? That's right. TLCs. TLC. I, it was you were telling me about TLCs in the dream, literally. Roger, so clear, even in dreams. That's so awesome. Yeah, right now, it was so very clear in the dreams. That, in concert with the work that you've done, John, your work on integral recovery practice, which would just be holistic recovery practice with a very clear map, that's learning from the bottom up. It's practicing the things that you've written about, Roger. John, what you've written about, and Colette, I presume, and all the work that you do, is that we introduce the individuals that we work with. Most, if not all of them, are suffering from various forms of attachment and aversion. We teach them practices that, that provide resource really across the entire spectrum. That's so much of my work as a recovery coach. Some of it is helping to reduce stress, trauma, and my background in psychology helps me to do that. But a good bit of it is to introduce resources that become part of one's daily menu, daily nourishment. Yeah, and and I wanted to say something. A, A student of mine taught me this one time. We had a group of people and somebody was saying, well, we're all addicted, like I'm addicted to football, you know, or stuff like that. And this guy was really smart. He was a four in the Enneagram, but he got really upset. And he said, no, man, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I had had happened to sit with this young man when he came off. He was drinking, I mean, he's a small guy, two bottles of vodka, liters or quarts uh, a day, tons of heroin, all kinds of pills, you know, smoking, chain smoking, all this stuff in one little body, you know. And he came to me, he was at death's door. And I sat through this thing and I was like about 12 hours into this. It's like, I wouldn't wish this on Adolf Hitler. This is so vicious, you know, just going psychotic and hallucinating and throwing up and shitting himself and just all of this stuff on and on and on. And it was, yeah, I can get it. There's, there's something about, I mean, you know, quitting cigarettes is really hard. And that same student told me, he says, heroin was bad to quit. Cigarettes are worse. You know, it's not easy to quit cigarettes. Some people never do, and it will kill you. However, besides people not liking the way you smell or you having to go outside, it's not like one of these substance addictions that changes your behavior radically in such a way that you can't conduct your life anymore. You can't be a father or, you know, a mother or have a job that's not involved in stealing or pushing or something like that. It's just this change of, of personality from the person that you were before into into something that is much much lower on the evolutionary scale 
and someone, a functioning psychopath, basically, where nothing matters anymore except the substance. And that includes selling your own body, you know, doing whatever the stories I'm sure we've heard in, in our work over the years are just, it's just shocking. So, yeah, I just want to say that that particular type of, of addiction is, is, is life-threatening. And some of the drugs that are out now, the fentanyl and the, the, the amphetamines, and, you know, I, I, I see people, you know, down in this Southern Utah, where I live, where I am right now, you know, it's a very Mormon culture, you know, cowboys, good, straight shooting folks, you know, I love these folks down here, but you'll see these people with scabs all over, they're all skinny and their teeth are coming out and, you know, and they're just, can I help you, sir? You know, or, you know, they're just, they're, they're, I guess they're kind of do their job, but they're, they're very, they're on the road to self-destruction and, and, and it's, it, it's not much longer left. It's just that, just want to say that kind of addiction, not, not to discount the other stuff, but it's. There are levels. I think that yeah, we yeah. acknowledge that there are levels. And like you said about, they can no longer be fathers or hold jobs that, that don't include crime or they, you know, that we're talking about having no self-respect and, and doing things that you would never do in your right mind. But also you stop being functioning in society. And if we're going to have functioning society, that means if you go back to tribal society, we everybody had a role, everybody needed each other in order the tribe wouldn't survive. The thing that you would to be sent away was the worst possible punishment because you couldn't survive, right? So we now have a scenario in our society where you know, and I see it again, I'm going back to the addiction to the phones, right? The addiction to the devices where we're not looking at each other anymore. We're just looking in the box, right? Where, you know, how to me, that's not sure. That's not like shooting heroin and that's not like uh, smoking crack or any of those things. You're not going to behave in such a way, but you're, you are cut off from one another at that point. You, you know, these are not real. These are fake connections to a great degree so so we need to i found anyway go back to my recovery came when i found true community where we had a common a common connection and a common purpose right which was to stay clean and sober and help the next addict to achieve sobriety so you know in in some ways what would our how could we apply that to society at large right now like what is there do you know what i mean like where is community and that's the part that i'm looking at now going because i've been down the darkest hole and i'm looking at that going that may look subtle but it's not there was a study done some years ago at harvard on what makes self-help support groups in recovery like the 12-step support groups what makes them effective and since it was at Harvard, it was done by the School of Psychology, they weren't going to be looking at the concept of higher power. They would give that to the School of Theology out of respect. But what they what they found were two things, and they're both implied, I think, Colette, in what you're saying, and, and also what may be missing on a really kind of global level. The first thing was the, the term they used was universality. And that is the fact that I can be in a group with you and we speak the same language. And so there's a universe, we're connected universally that way. And I might add that there's no judgment because we're in that together. So there, that was one, was 
universality. But the second one is really, uh, you just stated it, the second healing factor of self-help support groups was what they called altruism. And it's really what we're talking about. It's what you just said. It's helping another person out of their own suffering, out of their own enslavement to addiction. And so some way to be connected in a way that our that our, our goal is to contribute. Our goal is to give back. Our goal is to pay forward. We're wired as human beings to be pro-social. We're wired to connect. I love that video. You've seen it by Johan Hari, the one that's gone viral on addiction. The, the last words of it are, are have just become iconic. He says, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. And there it is right there. Yeah. 100%, which is why that's what I talked about right away. It, was, it is about the connection and how we need that now more than ever. And so you know, where do we start that? So, you know, in my community, for example, we have, I have a membership and I have a school, et cetera. I have lots of different places where people come. And, and the most important thing, as I tell everybody when they walk in the room, especially in my training programs is you're not broken. Like, let's start there. You know, let's, because the minute we start seeing ourselves somehow as less than, we're not going to be in connection to others. We're going to find a way just in case we get exposed. So it's that we come in and say, the one thing that we share in common is is the desire to transform. That's all. The rest of it's superfluous. What you do for a living is not important. So where where it's kind of like also coming out of a strong addiction, you realize what is really important in terms of your identity is not the things that we're being told are important, right? And, and one of the things about addiction is just inner. It's taking, taking, stealing. Yeah. You know portraying all of this stuff, violence, but recovery and basic spirituality and humanity 101 is about service. So I, I've taken, I think I've been to a lot of meetings in my life, uh, taking people to their first meetings, getting there. Yeah, I've worked the steps myself, and but we would get there early, our local meeting here, very, a very, very loving, loving meeting. And so I said, okay, guys, now we're going to, we're going to set up the chairs. Okay. We're going to start making really bad coffee because these guys like bad coffee. I'm not sure why, but you know, this, you know, you, you've got a couple of weeks sober, but we're going to start giving and serving the group already, you know, and, and then you get, you know, people, well, you know, I didn't need to go to a meeting, you know, I've been in the meetings. I said, well, maybe there's somebody that needs you to listen to them. Yeah. You ever think of that? Just be there. And, and I noticed there's a shift when, when it really starts to kick in. And it's not just you're doing it to stay out of jail or you're doing it because your parents are going to cut you off or whatever. It's like this this idea of giving back in service and compassion starts to take, starts to, to blossom. And the, the the huge false addictive self gets a little smaller. And the, the, the suppressed, insulted, denigrated yeah. true self begin. And what you want to do in, in the addiction later stages, obviously the addictive personality is completely different. Then. And that's one of the signs of true addiction. There's this massive personality change, things yeah. you would never do in ways you'd never behave and it begins to shrink a bit. And then, you know, you get there, it's about 50-50. And if you continue in the process and you deepen your spiritual connection and deepen your practice, realize that, you know, there but for the grace of God, you know, one day at a time, all of these essential things that the 12 steps have brought into, into the world, it grows bigger. You know, and but the addict self is still always there. Some remnant, yeah. some weakened part. And sometimes you might just ask, well, what do you want me to do in this situation? 
get fucked up. You know, <laughs> it's like it's always there. And I uh, eat that cake. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to let you know that it's still there, and also to to keep us our compassion for others and not like, Hey, I'm fixed. You know, I got mine. It's not like that at all. That it can't be that way. It has to be, it has to be service and humility and love. And all of a sudden you have a meaning in your life. You're part of a community that's helping each other day by day. And these people, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have a vehicle. I lost my car and everything, man. Boom. They're there. They pick you up. You know, I'm, it's just, it's, it's truly, it's not talked about enough maybe, but it's truly an amazing thing to, to watch and be a part of. And it's about belonging. That's yeah. the other thing. You know, I think that's part of, a friend of mine just wrote a book on loneliness, which I thought was brilliant. She talked about all this, you know, how our culture, you know, really fosters loneliness, even though it appears that we're more connected on our machines, et cetera. But one thing that I, I know is that the sense of belonging is an experience. It, it's not a theory. You can't talk or think your way into belonging. You have to show up. Right. It's it's a it's it's a continuum. It's an evolutionary process that happens when you join one of those groups or you get into a community where, you know, you're safe. You feel like you can be yourself. You're not going to get judged for the one thing that you think you're the most ashamed of, which is, of course, what happens in meetings like N.A. or A.A. or C.A. or wherever the A is, <laughs> so, you know, or any kind of recovery group. So there really is a sense that the altruism is not just the sense that we want to give because it is addiction is a very self-centered selfish you know it's but it's also that i am altruistic but that makes me feel like i belong like that the result of the altruism is like i want to come back and be there again and i think for me I was never a group joiner. I would rather poke myself in the eye than join a group. Okay, <laughs> forget it. But I remember here I am, you know, in this group of misfits in this women's treatment center. And I'm like, at the end of it, I didn't want to go home. I was like, oh my God, I love these women. I don't want to leave. Like there was the first true, real, raw, honest. That's the, So the honesty too, and the willingness to be true to what is true to you at the time you know, is also very compelling, very compelling. Well, we are back. We took a, a break. I just want to say I was thinking during the break is how happy I am. Feels so good to be here talking about this. You know, it's like it's anyway, it's really touched my heart. And and, and I'm thinking about all the, you know, the work I did over the years and and the successes and the people we lost, you know. Mm. Yep. You you were starting to talk, but it was during the break. Uh, and you wanted me to be quiet. So. Yeah, I just wanted to keep, keep, <laughs> keep the juju in, but now you can you can let okay. it go. So one of the things that I was thinking about that I've noticed a trend is to lump everything. The uh, our use of language has changed. Example: the concept of trauma. So two of my favorite trauma teachers are Thomas Hubel and Gaber Mate. So they have, you know, I, I, I love what they have to say about it. A lot of people don't read, right? And, and they don't study these guys. And, you know, and they, I think that we lump all, we all have trauma. Well, there are varying degrees of trauma. Trauma is the firefighter that went in and saw four charred bodies, you know, of in, in, in a fire. That's trauma. Trauma is 
my mom was, you know, my grandfather's a Holocaust survivor was killed in, well, my mother was a Holocaust survivor, my dad, my grandfather's killed in Dachau. That's trauma to me, right? So the fact that she, some guy ghosted you is not trauma, you know? So on an email, to me, I find that it's an overused and underexplained term that that everybody lumps everything in and same with addiction i think oh we're all addicts and i'm not saying that you anything about what you said robert because i think what you said came from a place of desire for compassion and connection um but it's when we lump everything into the same barrel it dilutes the truth of the variations of 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 a person's experience and and their need to reconnect to source again, or however you do that, whether it's, you know, through the noble truths, whether it's to the higher power, I don't care how it is. We can be an atheist. We had the the most fun room for me to sit in and my 12 step program was the atheist room, even though I'm, I'm all, I love spirit universe, but I don't have any religious context for that at all. You know, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I think it's just important right now that, that, I don't know. Maybe is it important or am I just making a I'm making a statement of an observation? And how do we how do we turn turn this into something that's helpful for other people without losing the entire point? Well, I think you're making a very important point, Colette, and that is that there's there's a process. First off, let's step back and acknowledge the psychologization of our culture. We're a very psychological culture. And we tend to think in ways which previous generations didn't in psychological terms. Part of that is what is technically called diagnostic creep, that these diagno- technical diagnoses, usually for very severe disorders such as right. major depression or the kind of trauma you're pointing, talking to, the absolute trauma, the horror of war or rape or yeah. assault, etc., those creep into the into the culture and become used in part ways. Oh, I'm depressed. Well, probably if you really knew what depression was like, you wouldn't say that. Tra- I'm traumatized. Well, you had a bad day, you know, etc. And you suffered, yes. But but I think it's you're pointing to a very important distinction, Colette, and it is important to acknowledge the degrees of these things. Yeah. There's no yeah. nuance right now. Yeah. I have a thought response. I, I feel like it's the flip side of an earlier point I was making. And you nailed it, Tullet. You're absolutely right. If the wish is to reduce the distinctions that are made, the other, I think you used the word othering, then I'm all for looking at how that we're all in the soup together, to use my own phrase for this. I think there's value to that. The shadow side of the limitation of that is exactly what we're talking about. And I'll talk personally for a second. I taught, I went to graduate school in psychology. I taught in a graduate school in psychology for years. And the statistic, and, and I was seeing clients as a, as a licensed clinical psychologist, the statistic is something like this, is up to 50% of clients that see an outpatient therapist are cur- currently clinically addicted to substance. That's an enormous statistic, which matches my experience. So I was dealing clinically with addiction. And Colette, I thought I understood it. I really did. My fate was that I got addicted in midlife. And boy, was that a game changer for me and a lesson in humility. Because it's really not okay to say I'm addicted to chocolate 
and assume that's the same as what it's like to be addicted to methamphetamine. They are not the same. And so having said that, I had a huge discovery. And John, you've been with me through this, the aftermath of the discovery, right back to the very beginnings of my uh, recovery, is that I realized that I, I didn't know. I All the books I had read, all the clients I had seen, I was never judgmental by nature. For that, I'm grateful. But in terms of being able to really empathize with what it's like to lose control of your life in every regard that really matters, I didn't know that till I knew that. And that's really the case now, is that so I really want to acknowledge if both can be true, kind of like yeah. light as a wave and a particle. There's a way that we're all addicted. If you go up the road to UCLA and look at the brain of somebody who's in the midst of a video game addiction and compare oh, yeah. that with addicted to methamphetamine, you literally cannot tell the difference looking at their brain scans, which one is on video games and which one's on meth. You can't tell by looking at them. It's the very same systems. Having said that, there's no comparison of video game addiction to methamphetamine in terms of the stimulation of the dopamine receptors, for example. It, there's, it's just off the charts. And so I might have been addicted to this or that attitude, but until I got addicted to alcohol, cocaine, and other drugs, I had no concept of what it's like to have the top of your head blown off and how that can ruin your life. And so I really want to acknowledge that as well. It's, it's like equal parts compassion. Let's not other those that are in rank addiction like I was on the one hand. On the other hand, humility. Let's not assume that because we've been addicted to chocolate or exercise that we know it's not addicted to heroin because we don't. Mm. But I think you made a really good point about our society being a society of addiction is what it sounds like. So we say this and that is true. This is true that everybody has addictive tendencies, but what is also true is the degrees in which we become disconnected from one another, from our higher power, if you believe in that, from our humanity, which is what is robbed of us. And we end up in jails, institutions, or dead, you know, any kind of really serious addiction. Even food addiction is extremely harmful. And I was also addicted to cigarettes, John. They were harder to quit than Coke. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's really, I think, I think it is, it's on our lips and it's in our discussions because of the, it's the fallout from it and the need for healing, you know, the need for compassion for one another as opposed to the othering, right? What you said, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it is connection. Right. And I think that if we are going to say universally that we are addicts or in some way, then how do we get more connection when part of what we're addicted to, too, is the othering, right, is the ism of the the kind of polarization. And I live in Canada, so it's not as rampantly obvious up here than it is in the US. Like with you guys, your politics are very, you guys are super extreme. Well, I love America. I'm there often. And and so I've lived there for many years and now I've lived back in Canada. But, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. It's like, look around at the society, say you find out what it needs by looking at what it, how it suffers. Mm -hmm. Hey, would you guys, you know, I'll just put this up, but with the work that you've done with individuals and the groups you've been a member and the people, it seems, in my experience, it seems that our, uh, my beloved addicts and alcoholics and, you know, late stage, that severe trauma, real deal stuff is mm -hmm. often part of the whole syndrome. And so to get totally sober, a lifetime plan without dealing with that underlying 
our unconscious, albeit controlling trauma, is not the odds go way down being able to, to, to keep it together. So what do you guys think about that? Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking here because the whole point of sobriety is not to be dry. The whole point of sobriety is to deal with those things. You yes. take away the medicine, which was, was medicine in the beginning, which then became the poison. But the whole reason you do it is to escape yourself and to escape connection. If you went through part one of our conversation with Colette Baron Reed and Dr. Bob Weathers, I'm sure you'll be ready to do part two, in which we discuss, among other things, how to overcome and transcend the disease of addiction where our deficits become life enhancing assets. I think you'll love this. Today's episode was brought to you by iWake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.